December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor. We know that date. That was when America was attacked. Now, there's another significant date that may affect more generationally, September 11th, 2001. How many of you know what that is? All right. Both of those dates had to do with when our nation was attacked by an enemy. Now, there are many other uh, battles and wars and things, but those two, one in the 20th century and one in the 21st century, those two just uh, will, as uh, Roosevelt said uh, when he met before Congress a few days after Pearl Harbor, a date uh, that will live in infamy. You know, we won't forget December 7th or September 11th, whatever the date is. And, you know, kind of thinking about that, the Bible tells us very clearly that the Christian has an enemy. Do you realize that? It's not weird. It's just the Bible says that believers, Christians, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. The Bible identifies this enemy in 1 Peter 5.8. And I put that scripture on the screen. 1 Peter 5.8. This is in the NIV. It says, be alert and, sober, and of sober mind. Notice what it says. Your enemy, and who does it identify as your enemy? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like. Notice it says like. There's only one lion, and that's the lion of Judah. But he prowls around like a threatening animal, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The New King James, instead of says enemy, uses adversary. The Bible says in Revelation 12.9, these won't be on the screen, but it talks about the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, Satan, identifies and says that the devil, Satan, deceives the whole world. Jesus said uh, when he was talking to some of the religious folks, uh, a little uh, radical, but he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was talking to his uh, religious enemies, and he says that, this, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he, Satan, speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. One translation says that when he speaks, uh, that he, he is a liar and lying is his native language, all right? Um, and he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Now, that's what the Bible says and identifies our enemy. But as believers, the Bible's clear that we don't have to fear. We don't have to be intimidated by this enemy. We sung songs of victory proclaiming the, the uh, vanquishing of our enemy by Christ and the cross. In John, 1 John 4, 4, uh, I love this verse, and it's a great reminder. It says, um, in the New Living, let me read you, the, and just leave that up there, the version that a lot of times we grew up with. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But I like the way the New Living translation says it. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So we don't have to fear because as people who have been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ himself, the Bible says, that Jesus in us is greater than the most fearsome fear, uh, feared spirit 
of this world. We don't have to live in fear of this enemy. And so this morning, I want to just read a portion. It's a very long portion, but I'm not going to read the whole, the whole part. But in Acts chapter 12, I want us to, with this thought in mind, I want us to read beginning, and it, it'll be on the screen if you want to follow, and I hope you brought your Bibles along, and I hope that you uh, at least uh, try to, this, this would be a good teaching to take uh, a note or two, because these are going to be principles and things that will help us in living uh, and, and walking in a fearless uh, walk before Christ every day. And so let's just begin by reading in Acts chapter 12, and I want us just to read verses 1 through 8. And you can, again, follow along in your Bibles or on the screen either way. We'll get all to the same spot. Now, the Bible reads in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. How many of you know that's not really changed? There were still, the church is still getting harassed. And it, why did he do it? He just wanted to harass the church. Huh? He just wanted to harass. And how, look at how he did it. Verse 2, Then he killed James. Several James James is in the Bible. This is not the James who wrote the book of James, but this is the brother of John. Uh, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he thought, well, I'll one-up it. He proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had apprehended him, Peter, he put Peter, him, in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, I love that, struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains, Peter's chains, fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, get dressed, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments, or on your garment, and follow me. The title of the message this morning with this thought in mind, is what to do when the enemy strikes. What to do when the enemy strikes. It's not if the enemy will strike the believer. It's just what? When. When he will strike out at the believer. Seven principles are just right here. And, the, you know, there's some messages, those of you who teach, and, but you know, every week and preaching and looking at God's Word, there's some weeks that just, you know, you just, you just, you just labor to, to really hear and get discern God's message for the people. Uh, and then there's some weeks that just, you just open your Word. I try to do that on Monday or so and just read the next week where we're going and, and say, God, just, you know, uh, uh, show me that where you want to emphasize. And this was one of those weeks as I read it, it was just one of those that, you know, the Holy Spirit just bam, 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 bam. And I wish every week was like that. But this is just uh, one of those weeks where 
the Lord just, I believe, uh, gave us the message this morning. And so, again, what to do when the enemy strikes? In 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Bible says that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. We are not ignorant of his schemes and his ways. Why? Because God has clearly revealed those and shown those things in Scripture. And so we're not ignorant of his plans. He hasn't had anything original in 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 a long time. He doesn't have any plan B or tricks up his sleeve, and so the Bible helps us to know and understand his schemes, uh, the Amplified says. And so this morning, we're going to open God's Word and hopefully be encouraged uh, for all of us, because I don't know what your situation is. It may, you know, you, you, may, be in a, you may be in a period of, of peace right now. Do you remember the word from the 70s when, when America and, and the Soviet Union were kind of having treaties, and there was a word called detente? Remember that word, detente? It was just kind of, you know, peaceful coexistence. We, you won't blow us up, we won't blow you up. And uh, sometimes we just live life that way and thinking, well, nothing bad has happened, so maybe the devil is just kind of ignoring me. Well, that doesn't last for long. If he, can, if he can make you think he's ignoring you, that's part of his scheme. But many of us go through periods of time, and you may be here this morning right now. It may be a, an attack. It may be an attack uh, on, your, on your spirit, on your mind. It may be a physical attack. It might be an attack on your family, on your children. Whatever it is, this word today is applicable to everybody in every situation because the enemy, what do we do when the enemy attacks? Do we fall in fear? Do we succumb to depression and anxiety and worry and and defeat? Or we say, wait a minute, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Do we really believe that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your holy word today. We thank you that God is through your scriptures, God, that you speak to your people. And so, Lord, I pray Lord, as you call those seven churches in Revelation, that he who has ears to hear, let them hear. God, let us hear. God, not just a, a lesson, not let's just hear some facts from the, the Acts chapter 12, but God, let us hear in our spirit, God, a word, God, that will feed us and encourage us, God, for the battle that we're in, God, that we're coming out of or we're getting ready to go in. Let us be encouraged by your word, I pray this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Look with me at just seven just principles that I believe that just pop out of this passage this morning. And the first one, these are not real, um, these aren't real cute uh, principles where they all begin the same letter and, and sent. No, these are just, just straight, easy, raw uh, principles from the Word of God. Notice, first of all, in verse, 15, in verse 5, the first principle that we are to do when the enemy strikes is to pray. I thought when I looked at that on on my slides, I was like, that just seems so little there, pray. I need to, you know, write it out long or something. But really, that's all it is, is just pray. What did they do? Verse 5, Acts 12, verse 5. Peter was therefore, when he was kept in prison, what did the church do? But by constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Peter is in jail. He's been seized. Already James, one of the leaders there, Uh, has been killed by the sword, and now Herod is looking to do the very same thing to Peter. It's a hostile takeover, and Satan is operating through Herod, okay? Uh, What does the church do? Do they go into panic? Do they, they, uh, you know, uh, uh, send out a flurry of emails and text messages, and it's all over? It's the end? No, what did they do? What they did is what we usually do last, 
right? Pray. They prayed. Remember, spiritual battles are fought with spiritual weapons. That's what Ephesians 6.12 says, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The church prayed. This wasn't just, I lay me down to sleep and I pray my soul to keep. You know, it wasn't a little rote prayer. It, was, it says that they were in constant prayer. That's a passionate prayer. That's a persevering prayer. That's prayer that was serious, tenacious. It was passionate. They weren't like saying a little prayer and said, okay, now what are we going to do for uh, the dinner on the grounds today? Have a little prayer and say, okay, now who, who's on schedule to do this or do that? No, everything got put aside because the enemy has attacked. Do you remember 9-11? Obviously you do. I remember so clearly, as most of you do, that day and was getting ready to, to go to uh, have some meetings and, and just everything was canceled. And, and I think I just was frozen on my sofa watching the television. And I remember a um, telemarketer called about 9 or 10 o'clock, not, you know, within, and, you know, God bless their soul, they probably didn't, you know, they didn't know. And I said, are you kidding me? Of all days, you're calling me, you know? And I just remember, I, I was so, and I woke my brother up in California. He hadn't gotten up yet. And I called my grandparents who were in Texas, and they hadn't turned on the news yet. Uh, I was in Chicago. And, and so, again, everything just stopped, Right? When the enemy attacks your life, when you get the phone call about a son or a daughter, when you get the news about a cutback and you're on the list, when you get whatever it is and the enemy is bringing an attack in your life, everything just consumes that thought process. Am I telling the truth, right? It does, doesn't it? And so what did this church do? They said, look, God, this is your work, and they committed themselves to constant prayer, and that's what we need to do. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Commit it to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right at the very beginning, they said, God, this is, this is bigger than us, and we're going to commit this. Our, our friend, our leader, Peter, our brother, he's in jail. And so they gathered together and said, there's only one who make, can reverse this situation, and they were in constant prayer. Secondly, God knows where you are. Sometimes we think God has just kind of forgotten us. The reason all this happened, you know, God, he just, he's just forgotten me. The reason I'm going through all these problems, the reason this physical attack, this situation in my marriage, God has just abandoned me, forgotten me. Look with me at verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. I love it. Luke gives you details because God knows exactly where you're at and what has bound you and what your situation has got you into. God knows exactly where you are. 
Don't let the enemy attack you with the thought that God has abandoned you. He doesn't care. He cares about that person, that person. But if he really cared about you, this would happen or that would happen. No, that's a lie. God knows exactly where you are. He knows all about your situation. The Bible says in Psalm 121 verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them, a bird, falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. A little bird. In other words, if God knows when a bird falls to the ground, he says, do you not think you who Jesus shed his blood for knows and cares more about you than a little bird that falls to the ground? God knows where you are. You can't hide from God. I love the Psalm 139, and I went ahead and put it on the screen. It's just one of my favorite Psalms. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge. This is, he's talking about a God who's intimately knowledgeable about him. You, you, such knowledge, verse 6, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you may be thinking you're living in hell, but I'm telling you, you're not. If you're here, you're not. But if your situation, you feel like all hell is broken, broken loose, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God knows where you're at. He knows all about your situation. In fact, he knows more about it than you do. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows all the billion of intricate possibilities and ways involved. And you know what? He doesn't sleep or slumber or worry about it. He's got your life and my life in his hands all under control. He's intimately acquainted with all our ways. So if you feel like your mother... Your father, friends, family, just feel like nobody cares. Let me tell you, first of all, that's another salvo from the enemy because there's one who cares. There's one who will never leave you, never forsake you, who's closer than a brother, and that's King Jesus. He knows where you are. Thirdly, notice second. Thirdly, God is well able. Say well able. Well able, not just able. He's well able to rescue you. Verse 7 of Acts 12, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side. I mean, you know, sometimes God's got to get your attention. You know, he just whack you every once in a while. But he does it in love, does it in love. But he struck Peter on the side. Peter was in a deep sleep, man. Peter was struck on the side and raised him up, saying, Get up quickly, arise, and his chains fell off his hands. God is well able to rescue. He's never looked at a situation and thought, 
Wow. Wow. Wow, my goodness. Uh, never saw that one before. Never. Oh, uh, Gabriel, what do you think? What do, we, do we have anything on file for this? Um, boy, the enemy really. I never saw that coming, uh, Michael. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. God is well able to rescue you and provide whatever is necessary for whatever rescue that is. God is well able. The problem is, are you convinced that he's well able? Do you really believe that he's well able? You see, God not only knew exactly where Peter was, but he knew exactly how he was going to get him out and to deliver him. He's well able to handle the attack on your life. I love when I think about Daniel. And Daniel, remember the three in the book of Daniel and Daniel 3, the, he, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow before me. You're going to worship this idol image of me. What'd they say? They said, no way, Jose. That's in the message translation. <laughs> Look at verse uh, Daniel 3, 17. They said, if that is the case, they said, we're going we're to throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down. And they said this, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is what? Is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, I don't have it up there, but the next verse says, but if he doesn't, we still ain't doing it, man, Right? We're not bowing down. You see, their commitment wasn't just the God of the good parking place at Walmart. How many of you know that theology? When everything is well, listen, I have, I have again, acknowledged God in getting a good parking place. I will confess because God will convict me if I don't. But we think that, you know what, just as long as things are going smooth and well, everything is la-di-da, Wow, isn't God good? But you know what they said? We are committed to God regardless of the issue or regardless of the problem. Here's the deal. They, were, they committed everything to God. They said God is well able. They committed everything to God and left the consequences to him. That's what they were saying. They said it doesn't matter because we're not just here to serve God if he bails us out. We are committed to God because we will not defile God's name by worshiping one of your phony idols. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, nothing, say nothing, nothing. is too hard for you. Now, you remember, we won't look at it, but in, but in uh, Romans 8, you remember when Paul's talking about who shall separate you from the love of Christ? And he starts going down this list. Famine, nakedness, you know, and he, he's like, give me their name. Come on, tell me who it is. Tell me what the situation is that's going to separate you from the love of Christ. I want to know. Tell me. Think about whatever it is, whatever it is, and ask yourself, who or what is it that God is not able to rescue me and deliver me and provide for my life? Whatever, wherever the enemy has attacked and usually it's a sneak attack. Those, those scoundrel demon-possessed men on those planes that attacked the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and the 
the, uh, the attempt uh, that where they eventually killed those people in Pennsylvania, they were operating under the demonic Satan control and conspiring to bring evil and havoc, right? Would you agree with that? And it was a sneak attack. See, the enemy's a coward. He'll always try to come at you. He'll come at you through your kids, right? You're like, come on. Leave my kids alone. Leave my children alone. There's nothing, nothing too hard for God. And again, I go back to the tone and mindset that I believe the first point we said, the reason that they, there was a mindset of God, God's ability was because they put it all in God's hand in the very beginning. They prayed. They said, God, this belongs to you. And it wasn't just, again, it was, it was a sense of absolute commitment that whatever God uh, faced, because it was an attack on him, God is well able to handle it. Look at next, number four. God will give you the necessary wisdom for your situation. Give you the necessary wisdom. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 9 through 12. I may just look at part of this, but here, here's, here's where we want to. It says, so Peter, remember the angel now slapped him on the side and said, get dressed. So he went out, and Peter did what? It's not a trick question. Look at the screen. <laughs> Followed him. You see, when God directs, and you're asking God to intervene, guess what? Follow God. Follow his direction. How do we do that? God gives us wisdom, and God will give us knowledge. He'll give us ability beyond our common sense. You know what the problem of common sense is? It's common. You know what I need? I don't need common sense. Common sense has gotten me into trouble. Can anybody agree with that? Not about me, but about you, right? I need the wisdom. What does James says? If any of you lack wisdom, do what? What do we do? We don't ask. We don't ask God. We ask everybody else. What do you think? What do you think? Guy at the gas station. You know, I'm going through this little issue here. What, do you, what would you do? Right? We collect all this data instead of the very first thing we, when we prayed. It wasn't just praying. It was praying, God, give us your, your, your divine strategy. Don't you need divine strategy? Yeah, now, now, Dave Ulrich here is a, and I know some of you others, but I'm just picking on him. Uh, he, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, what would I say? He's a, he understands navigational things. He is a seaman first class, right? He's, he, he loves ships and waters and, and, and the ocean. And, and there's times in which you better have your information if you're going to navigate through treacherous waters. You better have data to navigate. You know what the Word of God gives us and the Holy Spirit applying the Word of God? It helps us to navigate. Because there's times in which if you don't know where the rocks are, you don't know where, and you better navigate around that in order to get to your destination. If you're just saying, oh, I'll wing it, you'll be in trouble. See, we need God's 
navigational wisdom. Wisdom is God's knowledge. It helps us navigate our situation. We gain supernatural understanding of the enemy's attack because there's nothing that the enemy, Satan, has done or will ever do that, that, that again, God Almighty hasn't said, oh, man, let me think about this. Let me figure out a strategy here. I mean, even in crucifying Christ, the enemy thought he had won up. He didn't know what the word said, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, what Revelation says. It was all, he was falling into God's plan. What man meant for evil in your life, what did, what did Joseph say? God intended for good. Romans eight twenty eight. for he works all things together for good to those who are called by his name, called by his purposes. James tells us in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, wisdom is the right application of what you know. I know how to build a fire. But it may not always be wisdom to do it in my living room, unless I have a fireplace, right? You know, you might have a lot of wit, you might have a lot of knowledge, but what I need is, isn't just knowledge, I need God's wisdom to apply that knowledge to where the enemy is attacked in my life. God can do that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, listen to this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, those navigational spiritual tools of God, they comfort me. God speaks, God directs, we need to get up and follow him. What if Peter said, whoa, 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 you, you don't know your way through this prison to the angel. Can you imagine that? Hey, I don't know, do we know each other? I mean, the guy's woken up from a deep sleep. Now, I don't know this, this is in the white space, but, you know, what are the, you know, the angel is like, Peter, Peter. Peter! Now, obviously, he was able to speak to him because the guards, and well, they, they, were, they were conked out. They had some spiritual NyQuil going on there. Peter followed God's direction. That may not be an angel, okay? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. You know, God can do all sorts of things. But God will give you wisdom. And a lot of times that wisdom is when you begin to pray and you begin to seek him and open the word of God and say, God, speak to me. Have you ever prayed that way? Where you just said, God, if you don't speak, if you don't direct, I'm in trouble. My son is in trouble. My daughter's in trouble. This financial, this situation is whoops, there we go, is, is bigger than anything I can come up with or I can do. 
God, give me direction, and I will follow. See, what happens is God gives us direction. We're like, eh, you got something else? Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're surfing to find something to watch on Netflix, you just, uh, uh, uh. that's why we do with God. I don't like that option. I don't like that option. No, no, no. That's it? That's all you got, God? Because remember, God is well able. He knows things you don't. And oftentimes, the, and James even says this in chapter 1, that when the trials come, the trials are meant to test, really, and develop perseverance and faith in our life. And that means sometimes walking through those valleys of the shadow of death and trusting Him. Number five, get people to pray with you. Verse 12. So when he considered this, Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Mark was Peter's protege. And notice what, it, what were they doing? Many. Say the word many. many. Many were doing what? They were gathered together. And he, what are they doing? Praying. They're praying. You think God wants to tell us something about praying as a body, as a church? They were praying. And they were <laughs> praying together. Now, we don't have time to develop this, but, you know, the there's natural laws of, of creation. There's, right now, we are all benefiting from the law of gravity. Would you agree? Now, some of you look a little, I don't know. But, but we're all, most of us are all benefiting from the law of gravity. Now, that's a law whether you are a Christian, you are a Buddhist, you are a Hindu. Guess what? Those are laws that God has made. There's laws of, of thermodynamics and aerodynamics. And we, uh, uh, we operate in these natural laws all the time, and we don't understand anything about them. You get on an airplane, flown by a stranger you never met in your life, right? And that plane can take you from Florida to California. The law of aerodynamics can help your pilot override the law of gravity and help you to get where you want to be in a matter of several hours. So we operate under natural laws all the time, but also the Bible teaches us that there's not only natural laws, but there are, what else? There are spiritual laws, and those spiritual laws are just as valid. Uh, God is highly organized being of supreme intelligence. God operates himself and has designed his creation to operate under various spiritual laws. And so, yes, we believe that, and certainly the Bible teaches very clearly that God is sovereign, right? God is sovereignly in control. But he's also designed that we are to operate uh, in, in these spiritual laws. God has secured our salvation in Christ. Are we in all agreement there? But we have to do what? We have to operate this, the spiritual law of faith, right? He told the Israelites... I've given you Canaan. I've given you the land. Given it to you. It's done deal. Now you got to go take it. You got to defeat some enemies. What'd they have to do? They had to operate in a certain law of faith to go out and take what God has already done. So God has designed this. For example, the law of reciprocity. Now just hang on. We'll get our way back to verse 12. The law of reciprocity. Jesus taught the law, he taught several of these laws in the gospel. Law of reciprocity is a principle that if you operate in this, 
God will bless you. And there are people who are not believers to some degree if they function in this spiritual law, just like I said, a natural law, you know what? They're going to receive benefits of this law. Now, God won't bless them. Law of reciprocity, what is that? Give and it will be given to you. Jesus said that in Luke 6, 38. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a spiritual law of reciprocity. Bill Gates, multi-billionaire. You know what he spends, he and uh, his wife Melinda do with most of their time? Trying to figure out ways to give away their wealth. Now, I'm not, I don't know if they're Christians or not. I'm not that's not my point. But they're functioning in, an, in, a, in a spiritual law of reciprocity. To my knowledge, I haven't seen Microsoft on the uh, bankruptcy list lately. Have you? Wouldn't you like to have some of that? Well, we won't have you covet there. How about the law of greatness? You think the law of greatness? That's another spiritual law. How about this? Disciples want to know who the greatest in the kingdom is. Jesus brought a little child. And he said that whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. Spiritual law is you want to be great, you become the least. You become a servant. That's a spiritual law. Spiritual law of perseverance. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be what? given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. That's a spiritual law. Now, what does that have to do with the tea in China? I don't know, but what does it have to do with Acts where we're at today? Is that what are they doing? They are praying together. That is a spiritual law of unity that they are functioning in. Jesus was a prayed. Remember what the, well the, really what is uh, the, the prayer of Jesus when he said, Father, may they be one as what? as we are one. The Trinity, three, separate, but yet uh, separate in existence, but united as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is unity around the one God, the Godhead. How many of you have ever been to a symphony? Voluntarily. No, I (laughs) I love classical. But think about it. The symphony is composed of what? A bunch of individual experts in their instruments, correct? But it's a symphony because they are not there doing their own thing that becomes a symphony that can produce beautiful music that has been handed down through the centuries of Mozart or Bach or Beethoven, and it becomes a majesty of sound. Why? Because they are together in unity. That makes a symphony. Now look at Matthew 18. Here's the spiritual law of unity. Some call it a law of agreement. But it's a law. It's a fixed law. Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you do what? Agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20. Where, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. That's a spiritual law of unity. It's a spiritual law of agreement. The word there in verse 19 that we, uh, that's translated, uh, go back to verse 19, the word agree, that word there, it's interesting because it is the Greek word that in the Greek, is this, and tell me where you think 
what words we got. Samfu neho. Samfu neho. The word symphony is a derivative out of that Greek word that's translated agree. Again, I say to you that if two of you become a symphony on earth, that's a law of unity. And so why is that important? Because the church wasn't just there doing their own. They were together, and they, that Jesus was in the midst of them, and they were operating under spiritual law of unity and praying. And I think that's one of the reasons that the writer of Hebrews says that, that we should, in Hebrews 10, he said that ways that we should not only motivate each other in acts of love and good works, but not to neglect the meeting together. Because when we come together, we encourage one another, he says, and that we are to uh, pray for one another, motivate one another. There is a spiritual truth when the body of believers are one and together. And we see that here in the prayer. So, so when, you're, when the enemy is attacks, man, I don't know about you, but I need people that's got my back. I need people that are going to agree with me in prayer. And I don't mean just, hey, pray for such, you know, okay, no problem. I need people that are going to rally around me spiritually. That when I might want to, when I might be, so to speak, on that ledge, I need somebody to talk me back in and say, remember, God is able. He's able to rescue. He's got that. There is no power. Greater is, you, is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I need people that are going to encourage me, going to pray with me. There is power in praying together. Number six, when the enemy strikes, give the glory to God. Verse 17, what did Peter do? He said, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent when they saw him, what did he do? He declared to them how the Lord, how the Lord brought him out of prison. He wasn't there to brag and what a great man of faith and power he was. He said, the Lord did it. Do you think the Lord wants to get credit for your deliverance? You think when God gives you the key, when God uh, gives you the answer, when God, when the enemy has struck what appears to be a blow in your life and you're staggering spiritually, do you think when God intervenes and gives you the deliverance, whether it's financial, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, do you think that God has done that possibly so that with your mouth you give glory to God, you honor God? Well, nobody cares about my little testimony. How many of you get encouraged when God's people testify? Thank you, one of you, but you knew where I was going. You know, when you hear what God's doing, because you know what that tells me? Maybe, maybe I'm not so hopeless. Maybe my situation isn't so hopeless. Maybe, and that gives me encouragement. That gives me faith. And last... Is the enemy, when the attacks of the enemy cannot cancel God's plans for my life. No matter how deadly. I love this. Verse 18. Remember Peter? It's out of prison. Then, as soon as it was day, this is the next morning. I love this. There was no small stir among the soldiers about what happened. To Peter. Well, I thought he was chained to you. No, he was chained to you. You mean you didn't hear him? Now, some of you know, we have many of military people. 
If you go to sleep on, on uh, sentry duty or on watch duty, I don't think they kill you now, but, but that's, is that court-martialable? Is that even a word? Okay, so it's pretty serious, right? So they're in big trouble either way. But he's not there, and the doors are locked, and the chains. I love that. Verse 19, but when Herod, uh-oh, uh-oh, when Herod had searched for him, it's like, you mean I've got to come down there and deal with it? I mean, these guys are watching a prisoner. Herod is a big shot living in a palace. You mean I got to come down there and deal, deal with this, do this? When Herod, Herod had searched for him. Can you just see this guy in robes and running all over trying to find Peter? And he couldn't find him. He examined the guards and commanded, what? They should be put to death. And then he went on vacation for a while. He went down to, from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now, I don't have the next part there, but he's away, and there's some people that come to him, and they, they kind of are, are there to uh, kind of, um, you know, coronate him and honor him or whatever. Verse 22, when they meet up with him, this should be on the screen, the people were shouting to Herod. He's away from there now. You're going to see what happens to Herod. And the people kept shouting that he is that he that, that when they, Herod talks, it's the voice of a god, and not of a man. Do you get an idea what he thought of himself? Notice what happens. And then immediately, we're talking about God. Never allows the plans for your life to be canceled out. Then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him. Why? Because he did not give glory to God. Now, Luke, a physician who wrote the book of Acts, had to give this little medical tidbit here. And he was eaten by worms and died. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate that before lunch. But look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. The enemy tries his best at you. He gives you his best shot. But you know what happens? The word of God did what? It didn't just survive. It thrived. It grew and multiplied. Sherry. Last scripture, 2 Chronicles 2015. If you don't write anything down, you ought to write this down. 2 Chronicles 2015, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Paul said in Romans 8:37, yet in all these things we are not just conquerors, but we are what? We are more than conquerors through him in Christ Jesus. Let's stand to our feet this morning. That word encourage you, encourage me. When the enemy strikes, first sermon I ever preached here was about valleys. And I said we're either in a valley, we're coming out of a valley, or we're getting ready to do what? Go into a valley. Valleys are not positive experiences in the Bible. They're usually the time in which we're vulnerable. They're, they're, we're, we're open to the attacks of of fighting and the enemy. They're dark places. They're, they're, they're depressing places. And yet, though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The battle is not ours, but it's God's. Sherry, just sing. Let's worship the Lord just for a moment. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight.